December 17th, 1903. Does anybody remember that day, that year? Nobody was alive at that time, but that was the day when the Wright brothers, Wilbur and Orville Wright, successfully launched the first controlled engine-powered flight. Here's a picture of the brothers right here. Orville is the one on the left, Wilbur is the one on the right. Changed the world forever. Today in the United States, 2,587,000 people fly in and out of United States airports on 42,700 flights. Did they not change the world on December 17, 1903, yes or no? Absolutely changed the world. How in the world did they do it? Recently I read a book called The Wright Brothers by David McCullough. He's an author, he's written a book called John Adams, uh, 1776. He's written some others, one about the Brooklyn Bridge. In the book, McCullough describes the incredible seven-year journey that these brothers went on from the time they became intensely focused on the issue of human flight until that day in 1903 when it actually happened. The first flight was 12 seconds and they went 120 feet. World, the world has never been the same. They faced incredible obstacles. Let's talk first about the, the challenge of design. They had to come up with the design. How could they, how could they keep this plane in the air? The, the challenge wasn't necessarily what will the plane look like. There were other people had, who had designed some similar gliders, and so they borrowed some designs from other people. But the real challenge was once the plane got in the air, how were they going to keep it in the air? Like people died trying to keep planes in the air. This was a huge challenge that they had to overcome. And so they, what they would do is they would literally study the birds in the air. For hours on end, they would look at all different types of birds to see how they were able to maneuver and keep themselves in the air and kind of work with the wind instead of against the wind. And finally, they mastered the control of the plane. Amazing. Then there was the challenge of resources. Other people who were trying to experiment with human flight were getting tens of thousands of dollars from their governments. Not so with the Wright brothers. They fully funded all of their experiments from their bicycle shop in Ohio. Imagine that. They didn't take a dollar from the United States government. Then they had the challenge of location, like where do you test out a flyer? Where do you test out an airplane? Like you need wide open spaces with lots of wind. And so they did this, this, this study throughout the United States and they called the Weather Bureau to find out where the highest winds were. And they finally landed on a place on the coast of North Carolina called Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. And that's where they would test their flyer thousands of times. In the book, McCullough talks about all of the, the incredible victories they had and all of the incredible defeats they had, the ups and the downs, the trials and the difficulties. At one point, they had a huge accident in Kitty Hawk. This is actually a picture of the, of the plane that went down. Someone actually died in that particular accident. At one point, Wilbur Wright, the, the younger brother, said this. He said, not in a thousand years will man ever fly. <laughs> and seven years later, you know, they have this engine-powered flight. So there were all of these difficulties at Kitty Hawk and trying to control the plane and get the plane to do what it was supposed to do. Then they had the challenge of power. Once they figured out how to keep the plane in the air and how to steer it, uh, how, now how do you keep it in the air long-term? And of course, you needed an engine to do that. And so they started to research, you know, talk to all these different car manufacturers, and no one had an engine that was light enough to go on the plane. So they had to go back to the drawing board and create with a, with a friend named Charlie Taylor and they had to create their own aluminum engine to put on the plane. 
This is what Orville Wright actually said. We had to go ahead and discover everything by ourselves. Like no one had ever done this work before. They were creating everything from scratch. They had the challenge of power, the challenge of location, the challenge of resources, the challenge of design. Then they had the challenge of mockery. Like everyone in the country was thinking man was not created to fly. Birds were, but not man. And so they would be mocked and ridiculed mercilessly in the newspapers. They would be called imbeciles and fools for trying to get man in the air. So they had to, they had to constantly fight the, the, the ridicule and the mockery. Then they had the challenge of belief. Once they got the engine to work and once they got the plane to stay in the air for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, up to an hour, the United States government still didn't believe. And so they had to go to France and show the government of France that this thing actually worked. And, and sure enough, so, you know, short, shortly after that, the United States government said, oh, this works. And so the challenge of belief, one challenge after another after another. How did these brothers do it? It's a fascinating story. You know, surely they were, they were creative, they had ingenuity, they were passionate, they were hardworking, but I'm telling you what, the character quality of perseverance was what made it all possible. You know, we're in a series right now called Breakthrough, and my name is Danny, and if you're a guest here today and you've come to watch someone get baptized, I want to welcome you. If you're watching online right now, we want to welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. People literally all across the world and the United States dialing in and watching online, we welcome you. In this series, what we've been saying is that a breakthrough is basically this, you know, this opportunity to experience a new quality of life. It's getting to another level of living. And what we said is there's four keys. If you've been here for a while, just a quick review. Four keys to a breakthrough. The first one is you have to be completely what? Say it with me. Disgusted, right? With current reality, right? Then you got to, step number two, you got to break through those limiting beliefs and replace them with liberating, say it with me, truths, right? You got you to get through those limiting beliefs. And then Last week, we talked about the, the, the strategy part. You have to have a strategy. It's got to be simple. It's got to have the right people. It's got to be trackable. And it has to have an element of faith. If you don't have a strategy, there will be no breakthrough. And so that's a little bit of a, of a review where we've been. Today, I want to talk to you about the fourth step of having a breakthrough. In your notes there, I hope you're a note taker. Every breakthrough, principle four, every breakthrough requires, say it with me, perseverance. A little bit more passion perseverance. Every single breakthrough requires perseverance. I love what Charles Spurgeon said about perseverance. Preacher way back when, he said, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. <laughs> Little pastor joke there. <laughs> Pastoral humor, don't you love it? I was reading an article the other day about something that uh, apparently is a thing. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, it's called Quitter's Day. Have you heard of Quitter's Day? Uh, Strava is an app that maybe some of you have on your phone. It's a health and fitness app, and uh, basically it tracks your runs, and your, if you're a cycler, you can track your cycling. You can do all, all kinds of stuff on Strava. Used to have it, then I stopped running, so I don't have it anymore. But uh, apparently 31 million people have this app on their phone, and so what they're able to do is study all of the data of New Year's resolutions and commitments that people make in the beginning of the year, and when they crunched the numbers, when they looked at the data of all the people who are on this app, they've discovered something called Quitter's Day. It's January 12th. And they've got all the data to prove it. Like that's the day when people say, ah, I'm not gonna run, ah, I'm not gonna go cycle, ah, I'm not gonna work out today. In fact, only 10 to 12% of people fulfill their New Year's resolutions. Like, why is it so easy to quit? 
Why is it so, why are we so quick to kind of give up on the, the thing, the area we want to have a breakthrough in or our New Year's resolution? I mean, there's, there's multiple reasons, right? For, for, for starters, old habits die hard, don't they? Yes or no? Like when you're in a, a pattern, like it's hard to, to create a new, carve a new path and create some new habits in your life. It's hard to get disgusted with current reality. And we've, we've talked about that several times. Like if you're just mildly bothered and slightly agitated with your current situation, like you won't have the motivation to push through and have that breakthrough. Then there's the social factor. Like if you're in a group of friends and they all like to eat fast food and junk food and you're like, no, I need to have a breakthrough. And your best friends like hit McDonald's once a day, like you're in trouble. Like that's like swimming against the current, right? So there's the whole social factor, right? We're the average of the five people we run with in our lives. And then there's, the, again, go back to the limiting beliefs. There's this whole struggle with, man, I really can't do it. I'm too young. I don't have the resources. I don't have enough contacts. So I've tried before and it didn't work. And so there's the whole mental game there, right? And then there's just life. Like life actually happens. Like someone gets sick or, or someone breaks up with you. Your boyfriend dumps you. Your girlfriend dumps you. Your wife leaves you. Like, some, like someone gets diagnosed with a deal and, 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 and life happens and life gets busy. And then, and then you're like, well, you know, I, don't, I can't really follow through on what I said I wanted. There's so many reasons that we quit. It's hard to, to, to forge a new path and, and, and take a different course with all of these factors and forces. Do you agree, yes or no? This is why so many people quit. This is why Quitter's Day is a thing. And that, folks, is why you and I need something called perseverance in our lives. Because it's so easy to give up. So you guys know if you've been coming for a while, I like to know, I like to give you a target on the wall. Like, what are we talking about? What are we shooting for? Like, what's the goal? And, and I, so I want to do that again today. Like, what is perseverance? Like, what are we really dealing with here so that we can kind of get our brains and hearts wrapped around this and, and know what we're shooting for? In your notes there, perseverance is steady persistence in a course of action, especially, watch this, in spite of difficulties, obstacles, and discouragement. This is the right brothers, folks. Steady persistence in a Like we will figure this deal out no matter what happens, the obstacles that come. And there were, if you read the book, you'll see all of the obstacles that they had to go through. At one point in Kitty Hawk, apparently there's this thing about every 10 years, there's this, there's this mosquito thing that happens in North Carolina and, and they couldn't work for like months because mosquitoes literally blacked out the sun. They were so bad. They were biting everywhere, under covers, under tents. They couldn't work. Like they had to overcome the mosquitoes. Like, like and this is just a small thing. But anyway, this is the right brothers right here. Steady persistence in a course of action in spite of the difficulties, challenges, and the discouragements, and they will come. This is Nehemiah. If you know, if you've been here in the series, we've been talking about Nehemiah. He, he hears wind that his city, Jerusalem, is lies in ruins and the walls are broken down. It breaks his heart. He goes to God. He goes back to Jerusalem. He leaves his job. He has to face all of these challenges to rebuild these walls. The first challenge, if you're a leader of any kind, if you're, that means if you're a mother or a father, if you're a leader of any kind, it's difficult to rally support and get the will and create the energy of a group of people to, to, uh, to achieve an objective. And so that was his first challenge. He had to go back. Hey, guys, come on. We can do this. He faces the challenge of leadership. Then he faces the challenge of the naysayers and the critics and the people that didn't want him to build the wall. Remember Sanballat and Tobiah? Oh, they, they started mocking him, ridiculing him. They created a, a little army. They were threatening him. They were lying to him. They were manipulating him. So they had these enemies that they had to fight. And then internally, if you've read the book of Nehemiah, I hope you have. I hope you will if you haven't. 
In chapter 5, there were also internal struggles. What was going on? There was, the, there, were, there was these rich Israelites, and then there were some poor Israelites, and the rich Israelites were, were, were basically putting the poor Israelites in debt. The poor Israelites were borrowing money, and then when they couldn't pay, they were being forced to sell their property, and then when they couldn't sell their, well, they, if they didn't have property, they were enslaving their children. And so everybody's upset and, 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 and they're, they're just like, oh, we, we can't do this. Slavery is not right. So Nehemiah has to step in in the midst of all the challenges externally of building the wall. Now he's got to fix the internal challenges. And so he steps up as, a, as every good leader does and he, and he solves those problems. One challenge after another, after another. And in 52 days, they rebuilt the wall in Jerusalem. Powerful. He is our example of Perseverance. I love what John D. Rockefeller said, the, the business tycoon, industrialist, philanthropist, and died 1937. They say he's the richest American to ever live. You know, Dale Carnegie maybe, uh, arguably, you know, up there. And, but they said if you calculated his wealth in 1937 to today's wealth, Andrew Carnegie, not Dale, sorry. If you calculated his wealth in today's dollars, he would be worth $340 billion. That's four times more than Bill Gates has. Fascinating. This is what he said about perseverance. I don't think that there's any other quality so essential to success of any kind as the quality of perseverance. So let me ask you a question today. When I was thinking about this, like how did Nehemiah just continue to push forward. Like, what was it? What was it about the Wright brothers that kept them, you know, pressing on in the midst of all of the difficulties and the challenges? Like, what was Nehemiah's secret? That's what I was asking myself. And, and in, the, in chapter 6, it comes, it comes right out of the text. I was reading through it, and, and I love this verse. In chapter 6, verse 3, situation is very simple. The wall is pretty much done, except for some, from some of the gates they had to be finished off. And so the, uh, the enemies of, of, of Nehemiah, Sanballat and Tobiah, they're, they're like grabbing at straws. They're in their last, it's like a last ditch effort to try to stop this deal. So they send a message to Nehemiah and they say, come on down, we want to meet with you at this place called Ono, <laughs> okay? And, and, and they wanted to basically try to harm him or even kill him. So the message gets to Nehemiah, he's building the wall. And I want you to see what he says in chapter six, verse three. This is incredible. He says, I am doing, say it with me, a great work. A little bit louder, a great work. He's like, I, I can't come down to you. I am doing a great work. Why should the work stop while I, uh, while I leave it and come down to you? Wow. This is the answer right here. What was the secret to Nehemiah's perseverance? It was the great work that he was involved in. He was completely and utterly focused, as the Wright brothers were, in solving the problem in Jerusalem. Now, don't, don't be confused. The, the work was not the wall. Okay? It, it seems like it was the wall, but the work was not the wall. If you've read the book of Nehemiah, if you've been coming to the series, you know the work was, the great work was not the wall. It was the reason behind the wall. Do you remember when he went into Jerusalem and he was trying to gather up the energy and the willpower and the manpower to get the wall started? Do you remember what he said? I said it in, in, in the first week of this series in chapter 2, verse 17. Listen to what he says to all of the leaders and all of the people in Israel to get them motivated. Chapter 2, verse 17. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned to the ground. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And here is the, here is the key. Here is the secret. 
so that we will no longer be in, say it with me, disgrace, so that we will no longer be a reproach, so that we will no longer be embarrassed, so that we will no longer suffer shame. That's what the word means. You see, the reason behind the wall, the motivation behind the wall was to restore the glory and honor and dignity to the city of Jerusalem and to the name of God. Jerusalem was supposed to be a light to the world. The city of Jerusalem, the nation of Israel was supposed to show all of the other nations in the world what it looked like to live under God's rule and to be blessed and to have favor. And the city was lying in, in ruins. And so the motivation behind the wall was to restore that glory, restore that honor to the name of God. In your notes, see the secret, the secret to perseverance is your why. It's your reason. Why was he building the wall? The wall wasn't the great work. It was the glory of God. See that? That was the reason. It was to remove the embarrassment, to remove the shame. See, if you and I are going to have a breakthrough in our lives, whether it's a financial breakthrough or a relationship breakthrough, in your, maybe a breakthrough in your marriage or a breakthrough in your health and fitness or a breakthrough, I don't know, at work or something like that. If you and I are going to have a breakthrough, we need to know and have absolute clarity about our why. Why do you want a breakthrough in that area? Like, what's the real reason behind? Like, what's the motivation? Because if the motivation is clear, and if your why is red hot, if it's burning hot, if it's white hot, there's nothing that will stop you from having that breakthrough. I'm going to give you a word today. I think this word captures perseverance better than any other word. It's the word until. It's a simple word. Let me explain. My wife and I have had three babies. They're not babies anymore. Um, and each one of them had this phase around eight or nine months, 10 months, 11 months, where they began to try to walk. And uh, my question to you is this, like how long does a dad or a mom work with their kid uh, on walking? Like how long? Like maybe like a couple of weeks and then like, you know what, honey, this isn't working. Like let the kids sit there, you know, just drool and wiggle you know, around or something. <laughs> like, it's easy. Like, here's a thought. It's easier on us if they don't learn how to walk. Like, you know what I'm saying? Parents, parents, there's some of you are there right now. So tell me about it, right? Once they learn to walk, life is hell. It's <laughs> probably dramatic, but close. <laughs> so let's just, let's just forget about the whole walking deal. Like, is that what parents do? No, like parents, like we work with that kid and do this deal here, you know, and we do this deal all until they learn. Isn't that right? Yes. Powerful word, until. So, so, so the whole training wheels deal, that's another example that I remember vividly. So, you know, three kids, you can't do training wheels. Like, those, those puppies are coming off. Like, we're going to do the real deal. Like, you're going to do a two-wheeler, and life is going to be awesome for you, right? Because it was for me, and, you know, you're going to live like I did, sort of, right? So, so off come the training wheels, and then there's up and down the block, you know, in the middle of the summer, and the sweat is pouring, and, and, and there's, there's accidents, and there's scrapes, and there's blood, and there's bandages, and there's tears, and we're back on the bike. Why? Because we're going to get this thing, what? until, we're going to work at this, until you can ride a two-wheeler. Like there's, there's no other option here, right? See, that's perseverance. 
That's what it means. So, so what I need to have a breakthrough in my life is this. If I want to have a breakthrough in my health and fitness, I'm going to work at it until I have the breakthrough. You follow me? Like if I want to have a better marriage, like if I'm having marriage issues, and we're going to talk about that next week a little bit, Jackie and I. But if I'm having marriage issues, like we're going to work at this thing until they are fixed. Like we're not going to give up. Oh, we tried. We read a couple of books. You know, it ain't working. No, that's not it. Like, that's not perseverance. Like, perseverance is like, we're going to work at this until the marriage issue is fixed, right? Like, we're going to, like, here's the deal. Like, you, some of you have a porn addiction. Like, like you're going to work at that thing until you don't have a porn addiction anymore. See how that works, right? See? It's like, well, I've tried for years to stop watching, you know, I stopped doing this, and it just didn't work. So now I kinda, I've kind of given up. No, see, that's not perseverance. We work at it until the thing is gone. Some of you have a prescription pill problem and you, you pop them like they're candy. And you're like, man, I wish I didn't do that. It's like, okay, so if you want to have a breakthrough, we're going to work at that thing until you stop popping the pills. You follow me? Yes or no? Like, this is what perseverance looks like. It's until we get there. I'm not going to give up in my life. You know who comes to mind when I think of this word until, I think of this word perseverance in the Bible, it's a guy named Paul. And some of you know his story. He's, he's the guy that went, had this dramatic conversion. He saw Jesus on a horse one day, Acts chapter nine, Acts chapter 22, you can read it when you get home. And his name is changed from, from, from Saul to Paul and, and he becomes this incredible influence for Christianity, arguably probably the most influential Christian of all time, right? Maybe other than Peter. It, it, right? So, or Jesus, he's an important figure too. <laughs> Paul's influence was incredible. Just to give you a little example, uh, I have a couple of maps here I want to show you. Back in AD 30, 30, 45, excuse me, this is a picture of, of basically the, the Middle East, and here's Corinth here, and, and Rome here, and, and Jerusalem's over here. It's about 2,300 miles, just to give you kind of a picture of, of how big of an area this is. The United States, from, from shore to shore, is about 2,600 miles. It gives you a little idea of the, of the land, of the picture here. In AD 45, which is when the Apostle Paul started bringing, you know, the, the, the message of Christ to the world, he started planting churches. He planted 14 churches that scholars actually know about. Some say it's many, many, many more than that. This is when he began launching and starting these churches in AD 45. You can see this little area green. It represents the influence of Christianity at AD 45. Sorry to bore some of you with the map, but it's just a powerful illustration, I think. Fast forward 20 years. Watch this. Watch what happens. See how the influence has grown? In 20 years, this is the influence of Christianity because of mainly Paul's influence in launching churches. He had help. He wasn't the only one. And that doesn't look very, very powerful. But watch, watch what happens just a couple of hundred years later in 325 AD. Is that not incredible? This is, there's no television. There's no, there's no Twitter. There's no Facebook. There's no Instagram. There's no YouTube. This is just on a horse, on a boat, city to city, launching churches, preaching all the time. Paul was one of the most influential people of all time for Christianity. And his, and his life was, in, was, was riddled with difficulty. In fact, in one particular passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, man, I was put in jail. I was, I was beaten with rods three times. I was whipped with cords five different occasions. On each occasion, there were 40 lashes. I was, I was shipwrecked three times. I was, on, I was left at sea, drifting on sea for a whole day and night. In fact, in, cha- in verse 26 of, cha- of, uh, of chapter 11, he says, 
says this, I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in sea, and in danger from false believers. He goes on to say, I went many nights without sleep, many nights without food, many nights without clothing. I was freezing. And he kept on going. How? He knew his why. He knew his reason. He was clear, crystal clear on his why. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he tells us what the why is. He tells us what his reason is. One of my favorite verses. He says, for me to be alive, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What does that mean? Paul's simply saying, you know what? If I'm going to be alive today, it means I'm going to tell more people about Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite them into a relationship with him. And if I die, I'm going to see Jesus, and that's better than being here. (laughs) In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he actually articulates the vision of his life, his why, this way. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. What task is that? The task of testifying to the good news of the grace of God. Wow. See, here's the deal with Paul. He, like, he only valued his life in accordance with the fulfillment of his purpose. Like his life only had value if he finished the task, if he did his reason, if he, if he lived out his why. Like you can't stop somebody like that right? That's why it's so difficult to fight Al-Qaeda and the Taliban because they're willing to give their lives for their purpose. You can't stop somebody like that. They're saying, look, my life only has value if I finish my purpose. That person's unstoppable because they're willing to give it all for their life. That's what perseverance looks like. This guy, the Apostle Paul, worked until the gospel was spread. And sure enough, God used him to change the world. He wrote 14 books of the New Testament, arguably the most influential Christian of all time. So what have I said today? It's real simple. You and I won't have a breakthrough in our life unless we persevere. What is perseverance? It's steady persistence in a course of action in spite of the obstacles, in spite of the difficulties, and in spite of the discouragement. And there will be much discouragement. And there will be many obstacles. Do you agree? So let me ask you a question. It's a hard question to wrestle with. The answer to this question is going to determine whether or not you have a breakthrough. What is your why? What's your why? Got to be clear on it. Got to know what it is. Sometimes when I see a person who, who's given up cigarettes and I go, you know, what's the deal? Have you, have you done that? You smoked for 20 years. And, and here's what I hear. Here's what I hear, right? Well, I want to be around to see my grandkids graduate college. I want to be around to see my, my grandkids get married. Oh, there it is, folks. You smoked for 20 years. You've always done it. And now all of a sudden you had a breakthrough. It was their burning why inside. See, see how that works? When you know your why and it's clear and it's white hot, you will have your breakthrough. I love what our 30th president, Cal- Calvin Coolidge said. He said, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts like that one. <laughs> 
Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. The slogan press on has solved and always will solve the problems of this country. Now, I know that only God is omnipotent, and I know he was exaggerating, but his point is clear. Persistence and determination are absolutely essential for an individual or for a country to succeed. Do you agree, yes or no? So what's your why? What's your why? Several years ago, gosh, it was about 18 years ago, I was getting married, graduating college, and uh, was in love to my beautiful wife. And I realized, oh man, I don't have any money. And, and you need money to get married. Yes, yes? Like they, people say, oh, you're living on love. Like that doesn't work. You have to pay rent and tax. You mean just to, and I knew that. So I, I took a job. I took a job uh, as a door-to-door salesman. And uh, we were located, I worked for Thomas Nelson Publishers and my sales manager said, look, there's about, there's about ten dollars to $15,000 out there that you can make in 90 days if you hustle. It's like, okay, you know, what does that look like? You know, I went home, I talked to my dad about it. He said, man, that's not a very good idea. You'll be home in two weeks. It's like, oh, wow. So, you know, when the dad says that to his son, it's like your chest kind of comes out. You know, it's like a little bit of a challenge. It's like, okay, all right, we'll see what happens. So they located us in a strange place called Alma, Georgia. Now, you've never heard of it because it's the armpit of Georgia, South Georgia, okay? So you've never been there and that's okay. But if you have been there, oddly, <laughs> that'd be strange. Um, there are, in the, in the middle of the summer, it is so hot and there are these gnats and they just fly in your eyes. And when you're sweaty, they stick to your face and your just armpits are just always wet, right? And so that's the conditions that we're working in, right? And so my job that summer was to knock on 30 doors a day, okay? And these houses are separated and there's all different types of neighborhoods and it's, you know, trailer parks, all these different things. And, um, and, and from sunup from sundown with sweaty armpits and gnats in my eyes, I'm knocking and I'm knocking and people are saying, get off my porch. People are saying, no, I don't need any of your stuff. And there's rejection and there's rejection. Have you ever sold anything? Have you ever tried to sell anything? Like, like, it is hard when people just don't like you, and there's dogs involved, and there's chickens involved, and there's gnats. Did I mention the gnats in the eyes? Like, like, this is like ridiculous work, okay? And the guy says, just knock on the doors, make your presentations, sun up to sun down. 90 days later, I mean, I have worked my butt off, 10, 12, 13 hour days. 90 days later, I put a check in my pocket for $12,500. Man, I felt good. I felt like walking into that, down that aisle on August 14th, 1999, which by the way, it was right here. <laughs> I felt like, man, I had made a million dollars. I'm so proud of myself. I felt like I could take care of this woman. I got some money in my pocket. And I look back on that experience and it was difficult. And there were so many obstacles. And I think, how did, I, how did that happen? Of course, God was helping me, you know. But it goes back to my why. I was super clear on why I needed to keep getting up. I had a roommate that was knocking off every day at 12 o'clock noon. Oh, it's so hot. I'm like, yeah, it's hot. You know, his daddy was rich and he drove an Acura. See, that was the problem. <laughs> that was the problem. If my daddy was rich and drove an Acura, I would have knocked off at 12 too. See, but I didn't have that. So I, I had to keep knocking and keep getting rejected. And then I'd make a sale and another sale and 
See, I was clear on my why. See, here's the, th- here's the key to persistence. Please, I share that story with you because you need to understand. It's, it's your why. And when, if your why is clear and it's hot enough and it's burning inside of you, nothing will stop you from having a breakthrough. Do you agree, yes or no? Absolutely. So here's how I want to wrap up. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Here's how I want to wrap up. I, I want my friend Steve to come up here right now. He's got a story of breakthrough. It involves, it involves incredible challenge. It involves him getting disgusted. It involves him wanting something better for his life. Will you give it up for Steve right now as he comes to share his story? Come up here, Steve. Thank you. So I've always been the guy who thought that uh, he had everything under control. As a former state trooper, I was used to being the one to handle people's problems, accidents, uh, and even tragedy. And I developed a sense of security that made me feel like I could do anything on my own. Well, one one day, uh, my reality, that reality, was turned upside down for me. On the evening of September 6, 2014, I uh, kissed my wife, Alice, goodnight, wish her a happy 23rd wedding anniversary. Because the next morning, we would have been married for 23 wonderful years. After being asleep for a few hours, I woke up to the sound of my wife gasping for air and saw her become unresponsive. Within seconds, the guy who thought he was always in control of things tried to give CPR to his wife on the bedroom floor while waiting for help to arrive. Well, Alice died that morning, an hour and 40 minutes into our 23rd wedding anniversary. I felt complete and utter sorrow. Surely this could not be happening to me or our three daughters. And although me and the me and my girls received a lot of support immediately following the death of my wife. It seemed that as time went on, more and more of our friends and family members moved on. Everyone went back to their normal lives while I was still dealing with the darkest and loneliest season I had ever experienced. For the first time ever, I had no control and was really angry that God would allow something like this to happen to my family. To make matters worse, shortly after the passing of Alice, I lost my job. I became even more angry about why my life was going the way it was. And at that point, I became numb. I started drinking more often to help take away all the pain I was feeling. I remember driving home from a party one evening. I pulled into the garage, shut off the car, and fell asleep before I even made it inside the house. I woke up completely exhausted and completely disgusted with how I was handling my pain. When I woke up that morning, I drove to Emmanuel and attended an 1115 service sitting in the back corner of of the auditorium. I attended uh, Emmanuel a few times in previous months, but felt a big tug on my heart to go that particular day. Over the next few months, I began to attend more frequently, but still wasn't fully committed. 
Around the same time, it had become clear to me that I needed to sell the home that Alice and I had shared and needed to downsize to something smaller. I kept asking God, when will you step in and help me? I kept attending Emmanuel, hoping that I would finally have some kind of a breakthrough and that something would finally click for me. One morning I was in my kitchen. Again, I was emotionally exhausted, feeling completely alone, and I actually dropped to my knees on the floor, and I called out to God and told him I can't do this anymore. I told him that I needed his help, and that I wanted him to take control of my life. I think it was at that point in time that I truly surrendered my life to God. Emmanuel was and continues to take, be a place of encouragement and peace for me. It is a place that I could come to even while struggling with all my issues and pain, and to know that I was home. After I fully surrendered to God, I saw him move in amazing ways. I was able to meet and marry an awesome woman, an awesome Christian woman by the name of Cecily. My house finally sold and I was able to find another job. It was not until I stopped trying to control everything that I was able to see that God was at work. I was baptized this morning at the 915 service because I wanted to personally attest to everyone here about the faithfulness of God. He never abandoned me, and even when I couldn't see it or refused to let him, he has always been there. Baptism for me is a spiritual breakthrough to finally be able to say that from this day on, I'm going to do things God's way. As Steve mentioned, he was baptized in the 915. You guys can have a seat. And, um, you know, baptism is this picture of, of grace. It's a picture of love. It's a picture of forgiveness. When someone gets baptized, they, they go under the water, and that's a symbolic way of saying, I'm, I'm done living for myself. Or as Steve said, I'm not going to try to control my life anymore. And, and the water is a symbol of, of being washed from your old life being cleansed and coming up as a brand new person. And so maybe there's some of you here today um, that you, you're where Steve is, maybe your story is different, uh, you know, it probably is, but you need, to, you need to put your faith in Christ. You need grace and you need forgiveness and you need a brand new start. You need a spiritual breakthrough. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for Steve here in a moment, but I'm also gonna pray for you because as we baptize some folks, I would love for you to, to reach out to God and receive his grace. And you're going to have an opportunity to do that um, after our baptism is over. So I'm going to pray for Steve and I'm also going to pray for you. Will, you. will you bow your head with me? Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness to Steve. That you were with him in his pain and the loss of his wife. 
the loss of his job. You never left him, not even one time. Thank you that you restored, to him, you, you restored him back into relationship with you. You blessed him with a new wife. You blessed him with a new job. Thank you so much for your grace and your faithfulness. It's amazing what can happen, Father, when we give up control. We begin to see you working in our lives. And so I pray for continued blessing, continued favor in Steve's life as he seeks you, as he tries to become more like you. And Father, I also pray for every single person here and, and some of the folks here today who, who need to receive your grace, who need a spiritual breakthrough, who need to receive your love. And I pray in a few moments that, that you would just work in their hearts, continue to work in their hearts and draw them to yourself so that they can experience eternal life and abundant life. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. All right, so you can stay standing and hang with me for just a second. You know, my friend Steve said it best. He said, and I wrote it down because it's so powerful. He said that it wasn't until he called out to God to take control of his life that he, when he surrendered his, surrendered his life to God, that he saw his breakthrough. And Danny said just a minute ago that we want to provide an opportunity for those of you who, who might be ready for that breakthrough in your life to reach out and, and to trust Jesus for the first time to trust a Jesus that died for you, that paid the ultimate price and then rose again three days later, providing a path for us to be reconnected to God, to be forgiven. So if you're in that spot right now, I wanna lead a prayer and I just wanna encourage you that if my words are helpful, use my words in the prayer directly to God. Or maybe for you, it's just using this time in front of us right now to reach out and to trust him for the first time. Would you pray with me if you're ready? Say something like this. Say, Jesus, I, I come to you today finally ready to trust you. Jesus, I, I know that you died for me. And I know that just a little bit of my faith right now can wash me clean. And so, Jesus, I ask you for that. In this moment, I surrender my life to you. Forgive me. And as I take these steps in a life with you, I just ask that you help me. Help me as I walk in the way that you put before me. Thank you, Jesus, for this chance to trust you. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Now listen, if you stepped out today and took a bold step to trust Jesus for the first time, I want to celebrate with you, and we do as a church, so can we celebrate those? All right, now, if that is you today, I do not want to leave you hanging. This church wants to partner with you as you take your first steps with Jesus, and so we want to put a free gift in your hands. Looks like this. It's a one-year New Testament. Four or five minutes a day, you can dig into what God has to say about you and how to live this life and live it abundantly like He promises. And so here's what I'd love for you to do. If you'll go back to our starting point tables in the back corner of our auditorium on your way home, we'll put one of those in your hand. And listen, maybe you're a guest today. Maybe you're one of the 27 people somebody invited for baptism weekend this weekend. I just wanna encourage you that if you're wrestling with the hard questions of faith and what it means, 
I just want you to tell you that's okay, that you're welcome here week in and week out and you're welcome to struggle through that. But we have an environment tailor-made for you. It's called Starting Point. So step back to our Starting Point tables. We'd love to start that conversation with you and get you plugged into our February environment. It's coming up quick. And speaking of February, I'm gonna say some numbers. You're gonna say them back to me, right? So if I say 46911, you say 46911. I don't believe you, it's not loud enough. 46911. I'm saying that because we've got four brand new service times. That's right, a fourth one. If you look around you at the 11:15 service, you probably notice there aren't a lot of seats left to invite your friends into, right? So that's why we're opening up a fourth service on Saturday. It's four and six o'clock. Now listen, I know what it's like to be a Sunday morning family. A lot of us come to 11:15 because it's hard to get those kids wrangled by 9:15. All right, I get that. I get that. Here's what I want to challenge you to do in this coming week: try a Saturday night service. Danny alluded to he, he and Jackie, his wife, are going to be on stage. So not only do you get to hear his weirdness, you get to hear his weirdness from his wife at the same time. It's going to be an amazing weekend. You're going to want to invite people too. People might have said no to your invite before. Well, now you have a new reason to invite them one more time. So come try a Saturday night service. It's going to be amazing. Uh, we're going to free up some room. And also, hey, if you're here and you live in the Banta community or our Franklin community, we're in your area for a reason. And so I want to encourage you, go uh, experience your home campus because there's momentum and awesome things happening there as well. All right, who's fired up for new service times next week? Don't be late. Don't be late. All right, let's pray and we'll get out of here. God, we come to you so grateful that we can be challenged. I thank you for the message Danny brought. You have breakthroughs in every area of our life that we know we need to experience. So I just ask as we rely on you this week that you lay the path clear before us so that we can begin to experience the breakthrough in our lives. Help us to have the perseverance and persistence that only comes from you. God, I'm so grateful for what you're doing in our church family here at Emmanuel. I just ask that you continue to bless us as we provide new opportunities to reach people for you. It's in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. 4, 6, 9, 11, see you next week. <laughs>